Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. I'm really excited for this morning on a number of fronts. One is obviously to have my voice back. For someone who mostly speaks for much of their life, to have their voice taken away, it felt like torture. Just telling you, I felt a little bit like a prison. I woke up on Saturday morning. I, I started to try to speak. It was weird. I got up at five. I thought, I'm going to get drink some water. I started to try to speak, and I literally couldn't speak. I thought, oh, my goodness. That's not good. And, um, but really, really excited to be back with three boys and a dog that don't listen when I have a voice to not having a voice. Slops had to come into the action and um, to try kill them from killing each other. Um, but really, really excited for everything that's on the go. I want to just state, well done yesterday for the church. I know many were working, wouldn't be able to be here with kids and a whole bunch, but there were probably 200 people gathered to pray yesterday. And I honestly believe when the church gathers to pray at inconvenient times, when it's inconvenient to life and lifestyles and beautiful day outside, powerful things happen. Book of Acts will tell us miracles happen. Cities change. Nations change. And um, be praying for the leaders of our nation. Be praying for the, the political, the spiritual, every leader in the nation. Be praying for them. That's our mandate. As God has called us at this time to keep praying, to keep speaking words of life, and keep prophesying a future for this nation. It's what happens when the church see God and trust Him for our future. And um, today is a little bit in between. We've finished the Behold and Be Bold series, and we are going into a new series. And I want to kind of just throw you at that a little bit before I jump into what God has got for us today. But we are going to a series looking at the book of Galatians. And I'm so, so excited. So many guys, massive theologians, massive voices in the church over the decades have been gripped by this little book and the absolute truth that is in there. And I'm not going to give away what we're going to be preaching, but I want to ask this. If you are serious about growth in your personal life and growing in God's story in your life, could I ask you, before we get into the series, it's a short book. Go and find yourself reading it. I would ask that you read it every day. Read it in different translations. Learn some of the, um, the scriptures. I, I think I still remember some of the, the little sentences and scriptures that we learned as kids when I was in Sunday school in the full gospel tabernacle, which was my church. But I would ask that you find yourself in the world. Word, if you, if you only come on a Sunday and Sunday is the only food that you are getting, I'm telling you there's a strong chance we're going to end up anemic. We're going to have holding on and feeling like this is hard work because the reality is if you starved yourself from Monday to Saturday night and fed yourself on Sunday morning with food, you'd be pretty hungry most of the week. And sometimes we can do that with the Word. The Bible says this is food. And it's strength, it's courage. It's not just, oh, I need something now. Like we pop up an auto, so we pop a scripture. It can't be like that. And God is calling us at this time to grow. He's calling us to stretch. He's calling us to more. And we want to do that by jumping into the Word together in the book of the Galatians. So there are great commentaries. I'll put some stuff out on Facebook this week about commentaries you can read, about websites you can look at. But let's do that together. Is that all right? And um, I'm, so I'm really, really excited. Today is a devotional moment. It's just a, a devotional moment. It's a scripture that, weirdly enough, I have never preached on this one text before, and yet it's probably the most preached text in the world, Psalm 23. And how I got there 
is last year I was sitting with the elders, I was preparing for elders meeting, I was, I was asking this question, God, what is the role of the church to care for people? And then once you tell us the role, show us how. Because to be brutally honest, at that time I was feeling completely overwhelmed. With uh, Preaching doesn't overwhelm me. I find this very easy. It, 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 for me, there's a grace. I, it doesn't take me days and days of preparation. It, 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 it's my life. It's a story. I, I love this. I love hanging out with people. I love encouraging people. I love even the operations and working with Yuna and the team to administrate. I, I enjoy that stuff. That's easy. But sometimes for me, it is the weight of sitting with people with real things or real lives and the reality and the multiple ni- nature and number of those realities in the life of the church. And so I had to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, actually, I need you to show me what does it mean to shepherd your people? Because actually one of the titles, one of the, the things that I'm called to do is shepherd. He said, well, actually, you've got to go look at the great shepherd. You've got to look at Jesus. And we looked at Psalm 23 in the light of Jesus as a shepherd of his people. And that scripture has not left me and it left me profoundly amazed that actually this incredible fact, before I was ever a shepherd, before I was ever anything, I'm just a sheepy. Like you and I are together. And today I want to speak about being a sheep under the hand, the guidance, the love of the good shepherd. And I trust God will expose God. My, my intention today is not that you would know more about God. My intention is that you would know Him. Isn't that amazing about the scripture? Before I even read it, and you'll see it, the first three verses He speaks about uh, and he jumps into the scripture and it's language like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be one. He makes me lie down, he leads me, he restores me, he guides me for his name's sake. Then he carries on and he totally changes language and he goes, even though I walk, even though I journey, even though I fear, even though I, and it's this knowledge about who God is to a translation of who am I in him? This is far more than, well, this is who Jesus is. And when I'm in trouble as a little sheepy stuck in a bush, and I'm going to have fun with the sheep analogy today because the Bible calls us sheep. That's what it says we are. And, um, but it's this model of what, what does it mean to walk under the care of the Almighty? And what is the role of the church? You know, the reality is our theology is rooted in Old Testament descriptions of Jesus as a shepherd. And Ezekiel 34 says, They will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the Israelites, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. It's who we are. We don't like it. Most of us have never touched a sheep, been near a sheep, we just like eating sheep. And, um, and the idea of dealing with the sheep and all its issues and all. We don't like, so we don't have a lot of context. But this was very real in the people of the day. This was very much a part of their world. So they understood this analogy. And there's a mandate and a responsibility on us as people who don't understand the context fully to make sure that we do. And we grow. As we grow, we grow to know Him more. It's an amazing thing. He speaks, and, and the nation of Israel, from Genesis 4, we see the very first son of Adam and Eve, they were shepherds. And then our gospel comes through Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They were all sheep herders. We even see um, Jacob's wife, Rachel, is mentioned as a shepherdess. And so it's really important that we get this concept, that we understand. That Psalm 23 isn't just, I mean, I'm telling you, people who aren't even English or Christian can probably quote Psalm 23. 
That's how well known the scripture is. But is it in our hearts? Is it so alive? I've got to be honest, something's come alive and I've walked with this great shepherd for many, many years. That in Psalm 23, David compares God's love and care for him to, to that of a shepherd's love and care for his sheep. Who knew about sheep? David. Where was David when we first meet him? He's out on his own, fighting bears, fighting lions for sheep. Ends up the greatest king. Man after God's own heart. He understood the dynamic. And we're going to start, and Charles Spurgeon says this before we read the actual scripture. He says, it is, he's talking about Psalm 23 and the impact that this incredible chapter has had. It has charmed more griefs to rest than all the philosophy of the world. It has remanded to their dungeon more felon thoughts, more black doubts, more thieving sorrows than there are sands on the seashore. It has comforted the noble host of the poor. It has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It has poured balm and consolation into the heart of the sick of captives in dungeons, of widows in their pinching griefs, of orphans in their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them. Ghastly hospitals have been illuminated. It has visited the prisoner and broken his chains. And like Peter's angels, led him forth in imagination and sung him back to his home again. It has made the dying Christian slave freer than his master and consoled those whom dying he left behind mourning, not so much that he was gone as because they were left behind and could not go too. Wow. Can we pray? Jesus, I, I pray this morning as we take a moment out of series and structure and just jump into, I believe, something that you want to reveal to us. And I pray this incredible scripture would grip our hearts. We would see you and encounter the King of Kings again and afresh. I, I thank you for the excitement and momentum of an Easter moment and the victory that we live in because of your victory and the freedom that we get because of your price that you paid and the perfection and, and your grace that washes over. But we come and say, what does it mean to walk with that Savior? I ask today your word would speak. Minister to hearts, bring freedom and life. And everything Charles Spurgeon speaks about here, would you do again today? Set the captives free. Bring strength to the soldiers, break the chains. We worship you, Jesus. Amen. We're going to read the whole of Psalm 23. I'm going to ask my amazing wife to come and read it for us. This is what you do when you lose your voice. Oh, you need a microphone. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Mm. It's amazing. I want to read it from the message. 
just a different take. Eugene Peterson, I think, is amazing in the way that he's interpreted and given language too much. I don't read it again because I believe in the reading of the scripture. I believe God's doing things even now. It says this, God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid when you walk at my side. Your trusty crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Your, your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Come on. That is a gospel. It's amazing. It's Jesus. It's him. And I love this statement. This is David writing. And, and, and he's not kind of going, he starts out, he just says, the Lord is my shepherd. This is not an information point. It's not a little title under some other title. This is the title. The king, David, the king, is boasting about who his shepherd is. The Lord is my shepherd. The king with the greatest influence. And the commentators would say the scripture wasn't written in his early days sitting in a field. This was written when he was king. When he experienced the acclamation of man. When he had privilege. When he had opportunity. When he had wealth. When he had status. At that time he chooses and he says, This is my king. The Lord is my shepherd. See, we often shout that when things are bad. And no one knows who we are or where we are or how we are or, or we got a, not a whole lot to our name. We're good at declaring who my shepherd is then. But this king chooses at the heart to shout his name and who his shepherd is. But here, here's the incredible, if, if, if we're insecure about that, this should actually offend us. Because what is the implication? The Lord is my shepherd means I am a sheep. That's what it means. I don't like the idea too much, to be brutally honest. I'm not kind of like a, I'm struggling with the way my dog smells at the moment because he jumps in and out of the pool and doesn't dry properly. I struggle with that. Now I put a sheep in my space and going, mm, not sure that I want to be known as a sheep. But it's an incredible truth, an incredible statement and a big deal. And it has these incredible implications. And to help us understand what that means, I want to give us a couple of characteristics of sheep. Now, I know they're probably farmers here, so this is not going to be a comprehensive understanding of sheep. This is going to be a 12-point helper. Most of my understanding of sheep has come from this movie that my kids introduced me from. It's Shaun the Sheep, and it's a little bit of a sterilized version, but it helps anyway. But we have a bunch of um, characteristics and insights into sheep. And the first one is sheep are foolish. And uh, this little, uh, maybe we'll get the picture up now. Found a couple of pictures just to help us. But, but the reality is if there was an animal lineup and they said, let's choose animals with the highest IQ, the clever guys would tell us who understand sheep that sheep probably wouldn't be at the front of that queue. Just not going to be. And um, that they... They only seem to do one thing really well. And that's not talk about politics. It's not do mathematics. It's eat grass. That's what they do really well. They can do that at night, in the daytime, when they're sleepy or awake. They can do all of the above. And so first thing we learn about sheep, and I have to go, well, then I'm probably going to look a little bit home base. Like, to me, we're foolish sometimes. 
We do some foolish stuff. Then we understand sheep, sheep are slow to learn. Um, you'll read accounts of farmers, and I've, I've tried to understand sheep. They'll say, these sheep will walk around and around, and if you put them in a patch, they'll eat that same patch till it's gone, even though there's grass over there. They'll work that patch. They'll get stuck in one fence. The next day, you'll free them out. The next day, they'll walk into that same fence, stick their head through, and get stuck again. Bah. Sheep, uh, they, they are slow to learn. They, they, sheep, point number three, very theological point. Sheep are unattractive. I don't know about you, I'm not sure. I, I look at a jaguar. I look at a lion. I look at some of these amazing animals. I think, wow, that is spectacular. I look at a sheep and I go, fine. Then they shave their hair off and, oh. I, I won't put any names to what I was thinking right then. But, and, but, but sheep are unattractive. They're not known for their elegance or their agility. It's like these sheep bouncing up the mountain. They are known for being stinky. They are known for smelly and ugly, really, I suppose. Um, we've lost our slides, so we'll get some more to you later. But um, sheep are demanding. They demand grass every day, more and more every day. They need it, and they, 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 they can't get enough of it. They're demanding. Does it sound like you and me sometimes? And trust me, I'm not talking about you with me. I'm talking about me with God. I'm a sheep. I'm demanding sometimes. Sheep are stubborn. They, they, um, I was watching some YouTube clips trying to understand this. If you're ever trying to understand animals, watch YouTube. Of sheep herders trying to get sheep who don't want to go somewhere, somewhere. Hello, Maurice. <laughs> there we go. Back in your pen. And um, see, that one's not stubborn. But... Um, but they're stubborn. They, they, you can't maneuver them and trying to, trying to get them. The, the next thing you understand about them is they are strong. Don't be confused by their little arms and their little legs. That's not where their strength comes. It comes from, they are the ultimate core machine. They're like one big core because their stomach just does it all day, punishing that grass. They're strong. Street, sheep are another S because we're good at S's. Sheep are straying. And we just got to look straying. They wander off. You just got to look at uh, Luke 15, at the, the sheep that runs off, and he's got to go get them. You just got to look at Isaiah and understand that they have a, a well-deserved reputation for getting lost every now and again. So then when they lose their bunch, they get lost. It's they don't find their way back. They didn't get a built-in GPS, that's my home. They get another GPS like my kids got when they were three years old, that's my home, and they would walk 4Ks up the beach if I let them. Uh, some of you are looking worried now. Yes, uh, uh, we were on holiday in December and, and I had an option. One kid was walking there, the other one was there, and the other one was in the water. And I had these ladies looking at me at my coffee shop judging me, like, look at this bad father. Because my, mo my mom, my wife, was at home having a rest. And, uh, but but uh, a friend of mine, Lomal Herber, has a farm. He, he began to preach the once, and he was telling the story about this little, little lamb that had got lost. And he, he counted, and he wasn't there. And then they saw this little guy had fallen in a little ditch. He's weeping. Why? Because they have this natural ability to get lost. Sound like us sometimes? Sheep are unpredictable. Um, and, and we'll get these pictures. I had some really good pictures for you. They were really funny. And, um, but, but I don't know if you've ever traveled in the trans car. You're like in the middle of open street. This is amazing. Just cruising. Just going to carry on cruising. And all of a sudden, boom! Hundreds of sheep everywhere. How did you get here? 
you're always here. They have this unbelievable ability to pitch up at the wrong place at the wrong time, all the time. Sheep are copycats. They, they, one starts running and, and they just start running. Why are we running? I don't know. He ran and we're running. And why are we, why are we running? He ran. Woof, off the mountain. Woof, woof. Why are we running? We're swimming now. Why are we swimming? I don't know. He's swimming. We are sheep. There's a phenomenon called groupthink. It's very dangerous. It's where influential leaders have whack ideas and no one really knows why it boils down to that. But because it's influential, we're going to run. It's done through nations and history and politics. We've just got to look back. Sheep are, are copycats. Sheep are restless. Uh, they do sleep. They're either lying up or... St- lying up. Yes, they lie up. That's how you sleep. Standing or lying down. They, they, are, they, they, they like to eat, so they very seldom they sleep for long. Always a bit restless. They're looking around. Sleep. Hey, what? This is, I don't know. If I see myself a little bit. Sheep are dependent. Some animals can cope without supervision, but sheep, it's every day. Back there. Move here. Sheepdog, roof, roof. Come. They, they need that. Without that, they don't survive. Without that protection, that care, they don't survive. They get in trouble. They get eaten by animals that feed on them. They get taken out by enemy, and they just get themselves, and they end up lying in a ditch with their feet up going. That's it. The last one is sheep are the same everywhere. The African sheep and the, this sheep and the American sheep, they're the same. We like to think they're different and we maybe put pigtails on the one and color the other one pink, but they're still just sheep. So do we have some understanding of sheep? And, and I want to say the challenge of all of this is who wants to be a sheep? Found this amazing picture and, and maybe we'll show it a little later and it's this, this quote, it's better to be a lion for a day than a sheep for life. Have we got it? It's like... You just imagine someone just doing push-ups like Johnny for hours. I'd rather be alone for a day. Ain't no sheep. And it's the reality. We get stuck. And, 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 and the problem with this analogy is most of us don't get it. We only get it when we feel like a sheep. The problem with this scripture is David's not calling us for moments of chaos. David's calling us when we're top of our authority, influence. He says that in that moment, I want you to know you are created to be a sheep led by a good shepherd. If we don't get that, we miss Psalm 23. And he carries on. He says, I have everything I need. He says, I shall not be in want. It's not a concept of, of, about my want, but it's, con- it's about being... It says, I shall not be in lack. It's a statement of trust. It's a statement of, I put my trust in this shepherd. And when I place my trust in this shepherd, I will not be in lack. Does that make sense? We, we, have, we have a trust deficit world. Most people, are, we trust the banks with our money. We, we, so we want to check bank accounts every day. We trust these guys. We don't trust these guys. We don't trust these guys. And a statement like, I will not be in lack, is a statement that, my king is on the throne. I can trust him. And at the good shepherd. See, we've always done this. Since the Israelites in the Exodus, they walk around. So God sends manna. What do they do? Store up 17 days of manna. What happens the next day? Bomb fraught. Why? Because somehow we believe 
that there's a shortage of supply in God's economy. Money's the, the real exposure of most of us, but there are many, many, many areas where we get exposed all the time. I will not be in lack. He carries on, he says, He lets me rest in green meadows. Psalm 23, verse 2. See, for a sheep to rest, there's got to be a couple of things. Got to be free, free of fear of the unexpected, the unknown. They can't defend themselves with those little arms. They can't. They ain't got no karate moves. That's only in the movies. They got nothing. They've only got the shepherd. Got to be free from friction with other flocks. See, these like the sheep. They like the box. They like to give it to each other sometimes, and they can hurt each other. See, free of pests, such as flies, and free of hunger. And when we're free of those things, what happens is God leads us. And you understand the shepherd. He says, he leads me in green meadows. Understand the context. Semi-arid desert. Not a whole lot of green meadows. But this good shepherd finds a way in the middle of a desert to lead his sheep in green meadows. Where there is ample food. Where there is supply. Enough that I shall not be in want. This is Jesus. Amidst the desert, he is there. It says, he leads me besides quiet waters. It says two aspects there. One, he finds water for us. Finds water for us in a desert. If we don't understand that this context is a desert context, we miss the truth again. In the middle of a desert, our good shepherd finds water for us. You know what a good shepherd does? He goes ahead and maps out a route while the sheep are safely penned away. And in the middle of the night, while everyone else is asleep, the shepherd is up. And the shepherd is finding roots. If we walk this route, there will be enough water, there will be enough foliage, there will be enough protection. I'm going to move this bush. The good shepherd goes ahead. And then he leads us. What's the challenge of that statement? Is we have to be able to be led. The difference between a goat and a sheep. You can't lead a goat. You drag a goat. You put a rope around its head and its horns and its whatever, and you drag that thing. And when you want to move it again, you drag it again. Not a sheep. Come. Come. Roof. Don't know why. The dog. Not sure why the dog fits in. But, but sheep need water. They, they need it. They can't go for weeks and weeks without water, and yet they are placed in areas like semi-arid desert type environments, which means the essential necessity of them finding water is huge. They place their trust in the shepherd to find them water. When we stop doing that, we stop trusting the shepherd. It says he restores my soul. I don't know about you, but sometimes my soul needs restoring. See what happens with the sheep? They get a little bit lost and they get a bit dazed with everything going on. And, and they tend to get heavy and fat and their fleece gets too big if they don't get sheared properly. And, and they, they lie down, but they, they lose their balance a bit and they fall over. They're off balance. They're on their back. But for a sheep, they, they're dying. A predator could come. They can't get up. They, they can't get up. The other sheep don't have the strength to pick them up. They don't have the ability to pick them up. Only the shepherd. Only the shepherd can come. 
and he gets down into their mess and he picks them up, puts them back on their feet until the next time they fall over. See, sometimes my soul falls over. I don't know about you. Sometimes my soul loses its center. Sometimes my soul gets overwhelmed. Sometimes the external realities of the world around me get big and I just want to go. And I just want to enjoy that moment. For a moment, that's fun. I'm going to wallow here. Look at me wallowing. Oh, I'm having fun. Until I realize, oh, oh, I can't get back. Hey, you, help me. Sorry, bud, you're on your own. I don't know about you, but I look at that and I go, he restores my soul. He, he, another version says he renews my strength. He brings me back to balance. Lamentations 1 verse 16 said, My eye, my eye runs down with water because far from me is a comforter, one who restores my soul. He comforts. Come to the fort because he comforts. He carries on, he says, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Guides me. Another version says, he guides me along the right paths. See, here's the thing. Sheep are creatures of habit. They'll choose the same path always. But those paths get worn and they get dangerous. And there's a time where the shepherd has to lead them through other paths. They've got to leave from the low, safe lands, and they've got to get up in, in the summer months. They've got to get up to where the water, where the foliage, where everything, they've got to get up. And he's got to take them up some pretty steep, pretty dangerous paths. And when we don't trust that before we were even there, the shepherd walked those paths, that there was a king who came through and experienced everything that I've experienced. That's what the gospel tells me. You think you've experienced pain? Jesus got rejected by everyone he came to save. You think you've been overlooked? The king of kings, the God of all creation, spent 30 years and impacted very few. Jesus has experienced. He's walked your path. Psalm 23 is about us trusting that he has the right paths, the righteous paths, the right paths before him. The challenges, they don't always look good to us. Oh, that looks like a tough path. You know what? It probably is. But it's the right path if the shepherd is with us. And what is it all about? It just says this, to bring honor to his name. Have you got a few more minutes? Is that all right? I, just, I want to just say the, the big idea here is because we are by nature sheep. That's what the Bible says. We are always following a shepherd. We're always following a shepherd. Sheep follow shepherds. If it's not the good shepherd, it will be another shepherd. Shepherds call guilt, fear, ambition, comparison, pain, insecurity. God leads me in paths. And he says, but here's the thing. Even though I walk through the dark valley of death, I will not be afraid for you you close. You are close behind me. How did I get you? No, you're following the shepherd. He says sometimes he's going to lead you to death valley. This is not a sheep lost. This is not Luke 15. This is a child of God who the Father and the good shepherd Jesus are leading through death valley. Why? So God gets all the glory and I know how to trust him in the valley. 
how, how will we know unless we're always crying out, we're always desperate on our knees and there's noise everywhere. How will we know unless he takes us by then and says, boy, I'm going to lead you through this. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be tough. And not every open door looks amazing. But I am a good shepherd. Think about David, gets anointed with oil and spends years in the caves. Did God abandon him? Not even in the slightest. When we think that, we lose a good shepherd. He says, your rod, and I'm having to go quick here, your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. The rod at my home is called enough. It literally is a rod. <laughs> it's got enough written on it. And um, it's for my children to help my little sheep, as, as I have to sometimes. See, David carried a sling, but he understood that the shepherd had always carried a staff. And it was an instrument of guidance. And on the odd occasion, an instrument of discipline. It looked like a police baton more. And the shepherd would walk and the sheep would start getting towards bushes because the shepherd sees what we don't see. And the shepherd goes, now come back this way. And come back this way. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You want comfort? Allow the rod of God and his staff to comfort you. You keep walking around the same mountain again? It's like, I did that last year, I did the year before. No, no, what you need is the shepherd to take you on the right paths and you need to allow him to lead you and you need to trust him in leading you. That's what it is to be a sheep says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. See, sheep, they don't like flies. Little things like flies lead to sheep not eating, lead to sheep getting malnutrition, lead to sheep dying. A little thing, a little irritation like a fly. It's the same for Christians. We allow little things to become big things that lead to death. You know what the shepherd used to do? Takes oil. Where's our oil here? Well, takes oil and says, oh, come here, little sheep. Because he loves them. Because he spends day and night with these sheep out there. Takes oil and covers their head. And that oil keeps the flies away. You know why we need the anointing of God consistently every day? Just to keep the flies away. So we can keep walking with the good shepherd. It says, surely goodness. And I'm shooting through. There's so much here. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The message says it this way. And it's unbelievable. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. See, we, 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 that's, we struggle with that. Surely love will follow me. It's like I'm going to walk and, and it's going to follow me. Goodness and love are going to follow me. We live with this doubt that goodness and love will ever catch up to us and maybe we'll only get it in eternity. But the actual translation of that following is, from the Greek is a more of a chasing. I don't know about you, but when you've got a bit of a speeding final two and the cop starts whoop, whoop, and you're the only car on the road and you're driving, 
I remember being in Zimbabwe once and we'd got one too many just bad traffic fines, like everyone hit the exact same speed limit when the car, I don't know if you've ever traveled Zim, it just happens. Some of those great cameras get everyone at the exact same camera, which means no one really was doing that. And um, we hit another one and, and one day I was just frustrated, I thought, I'm going to drive past these oaks, they must catch us. And you think you can outrun it. The problem is, this is saying, that is actually not the case. It's not about your good. God is chasing you because he loves you. He is chasing you because his mercy is like a dog that will not let go of you and will continue to chase you and chase you because he wants you to dwell in his house. This is not about, I'm in trouble, I'm a sheepy on my back. This is about those who will walk with the good shepherd, allow the good shepherd to lead and guide and do some of this in our lives. Will dwell in his house for the rest of their days. This is not about the house. It's not about the house. We get caught up with the house. We get caught up with the benefit. Oh, I'm Christian, so I get this benefit. I'm this, I get this. It's not about the house. It's about who's in the house. It's about a relationship with the living God, the great shepherd who chases me. Can we close our eyes? I, I was going to speak.